We are in Lent, and we're doing a Lenten homily series. This year's work is discipleship. For the two previous homilies, uh, the one on Sunday and then Ash Wednesday in the series, go to St. Francis de Sales, Newark, Ohio page on YouTube. Also, in the spirit of this homily series, I want to invite you to take a concrete action each week to become a disciple maker. Please share each week the link to these homilies with other people. Doing so will show you and you know, that you're interested in helping other people become disciple makers too. For those who are joining us through the live stream, you already have the link just after the Mass. Uh, It'll be recorded and you can just send it off to whoever you want and just take five minutes for the rest of us when you go home and send it to folks. Today we will look at the thresholds of discipleship. We can also call these really the thresholds of conversion. They're one and the same. And as we think about these um, thresholds of discipleship, just remember these are thresholds that we identify in the scriptures and up and down the centuries that the great spiritual masters have told us these are the steps of discipleship. The way of discipleship is, in fact, a way of conversion. Conversion is not a single event, a moment, and just one encounter with Christ. It's a journey, it's ongoing. As you go through the thresholds of discipleship, you find yourself more and more walking the way of discipleship. And discipleship is all about thresholds, which begs the question, what is a threshold? I think a lot of us know what it is, but we have right here available to us uh, in our church architecture an example of threshold and really an example, too, of the progression towards discipleship. The architectural design of a Catholic church offers a good illustration of thresholds. In any Catholic church, when you walk into the front door, you immediately arrive in the vestibule, the gathering space where people gather before they enter into the main body of the church. As you walk through the front door, you pass over a threshold. It's the line that separates the outside of the church from the inside of the church. Then there's another threshold, which separates the vestibule from the main body of the church, where you are, which is called the nave. And in the nave, there are pews, and you, uh, you, you genuflect, you go into the pew, you kneel, you pray, you worship God, you learn about God and how, how to grow closer to God. Then there's another threshold. When you walk through the main body of the church and into the sanctuary, close to the altar and to the tabernacle where heaven meets earth. Each threshold takes you deeper into the church and closer to the presence of God among us. Well, this is what happens or is supposed to happen as we pass through the thresholds of discipleship throughout our lives, taking you deeper into the presence of God in your life, helping you to walk ever more closely with Christ in your spiritual journey. Along the way of discipleship, we experience conversion. We experience change, growth, maturation, more love, more life, 
more of a desire to live closer to God and to share God with other people. In today's gospel reading, we see something of these thresholds. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus has just been baptized. And immediately, he is sent by the Holy Spirit into the desert for a season. Forty days, in fact, just like Lent. Not to evangelize others. No, first, Jesus is tempted by the devil. Which happens to all of us when we make movements across thresholds to get closer to God. After overcoming obstacles, Jesus is then fed, nourished, he's ministered to by God's angels. Then Jesus is sent on mission. Jesus comes to Galilee and Jesus calls others to conversion and discipleship. He calls them to follow him. He calls them to change through repentance, then to believe in him, and then for them to go out and proclaim the gospel. Lots of thresholds here, transitions, and a progression, a journey, a change, a conversion. But the crossing of these thresholds are also gradual ones. They take time, patience, a willingness to trust, to, to risk, to seek, and then, and then to commit, to be all in. Notice that the commitment takes place later. Not in the first few steps. So here are the five thresholds of discipleship that have been identified up and down the ages. Now, they come under different names, but they're the same five steps. The first is from mistrust to trust. The second is complacent to curious. The third is closed off to open. The fourth is seeking And the fifth is discipleship. Let's look at these thresholds through another illustration. The movement from dating to marriage and family life. I think that they offer a good analogy for the journey that we all need to be on toward discipleship. Now this, as as I take you through these five steps, keep this in mind. This journey is possible for people who have never been in a church or part of a, of a faith community. And this is also for people who have been away from the, a parish community for a long time. And, and this is also for people who have been in church all their lives. So the first is mistrust to trust. Let's call this the flirting stage. When a person wants marriage, we have to assume that they want the best possible marriage. The movement towards marriage has a beginning. A person has to ask somebody out on a date, right? But before they ask a person on a date, they probably should get to know the person a bit too. Correct? This often comes through what we might call flirting. Where a person gets the sense of the other person, gets to know them a bit, the vibe, the energy, the attraction, the feeling. During this flirting stage, a deep trust is not necessary. But there is a need for initial trust. And a willingness to take some risk to see where things might go. You have to move beyond your comfort zone. 
push through any fears and hesitations, like bad experiences in the past or an aversion to the unknown. Some same happens in the discipleship journey. Take life here at St. Francis de Sales Parish. There are all kinds of flirting opportunities to get some sense of who God is, the vibe, the energy, the attraction, the possibilities of life with him. You might have some hesitations. Perhaps you have to stretch yourself a bit beyond your comfort zone, move beyond some past negative experiences and fears of the unknown. Try something new. Take some risk. Put yourself out there. Even if just a little in the beginning. No deep commitment necessary. Just a little initial trust. Like a man or a woman who dreams of finding Mr. Right or Mr. or Mrs. Right. You start by flirting. And just see then where it might go. This is the initial threshold of discipleship. And again, it's necessary not just for people who have never known God or been walked away from God a long time ago. It's necessary for all of us. Number two, complacent to curious. This is the dating stage. In the whole single to marriage to family odyssey comes another threshold. The decision to move from flirting to dating. Dating is still not a commitment, certainly not a proposal for marriage. It's just dating. Getting to know the other person. You spend time with the person, ask some questions, pay attention to how you feel around the person. You have a variety of experiences with the person, not just a one and done. Also, you get to know some of the person's friends who gives you all kinds of personal stories about the person, which helps you then see more and more of the person through their experiences. The dating causes you to become more curious about the possibilities of life with this person. And these can have two very distinct reactions within you. The first, fear of commitment. And return to the old life. Complacency. At least there you feel safe, albeit not fully alive. And number two, or you become even more curious about how life with this person could be so much better than life without this person. So you keep dating the person. Well, the same thing is necessary in the discipleship journey. Moving eventually from flirting to dating in the Christian walk, you act on your curiosity. You allow your curiosity. So, for instance, you you try out Alpha, or we're doing Alpha for marriages right now, or walking for purpose for women, or that man is you for men, retreats and conferences, dinners with other people who have had a friendship with God. You explore the stations of the cross during Lent. Find yourself talking and listening to God more in Eucharistic adoration or at home in prayer or reading the Bible or just hanging out with other parishioners at a parish social event. In a nutshell, in the context of the body of Christ, his church, 
you start to date God. Because remember, God is incarnate. He joined our human nature, not just in Christ, but we can encounter him and come to know him through other people. That's the whole idea of a church. Dating is still not a commitment, certainly not a proposal for a lifelong union of love. It's just dating. You keep dating, getting to know God more and push through any fears or impulses to return to your old life, curious about the possibilities of how much better life can be with God, more of God, rather than less of God or without God, you're ready for the next threshold. The third, closed off versus open. Let's call this the dating exclusively stage. This is a critical threshold in the journey from single life to married life and family life and where a lot of us find ourselves after years of being in a parish. You're willing to move from initial trust to more trust, but they're still not yet ready to fully commit. As you grow closer to each other in different seasons or periods of your life, there are again two distinct reactions. You close yourself off or you open up. Let's deal with the second one first. As you trust more in the other person, you are more willing to be vulnerable. You reveal to the person more of your history, hurts, hopes, your dreams and expectations, fears and limitations, your values and beliefs, preferences and opinions, your life goals. Also, your growing passion for the person. Now with less fear of rejection. As the two of you open up to each other more, you fall more in love with each other. As you cross this threshold, there's always the possibility, though, that the enemy will try to use your past wounds and current brokenness to convince you to close yourself off to the moments and the movements toward deeper love. Believing in the familiar lies of the enemy, fears can return. Fear of rejection. Fear of commitment. Fear of what the other is going to ask and expect of you. Fear of change. Fear of responsibilities. Even as the person you love is calling you deeper into the possibilities of a lifelong union of love. You reject the lies. You push through the fears. You open up even more and venture forward. The same thing needs to happen in the discipleship journey. As we come to Mass more regular or are here regularly, as we have a variety of dates, experiences within the parish and within our own personal time with the Lord, we find ourselves wanting to date God more exclusively. We want more time with Him. We really open up to Him, our histories, our hurts, our hopes, our dreams, our fears. As we become more vulnerable to God, we are more open to hearing His heart and all that He wants to offer us, His dreams for us, His vision of what life with Him can be like. We fall even more in love with Him and we are better able to love ourselves because of Him as we finally 
start to see ourselves the way he sees us, who loves us unconditionally. However, even here, even now, at this threshold, because of past wounds or present brokenness, the enemy of God and our enemy can try to get us to close ourselves off to God due to fears of rejection, commitment, change, expectation, time, commitment, whatever. Like all the other thresholds, we have to be willing to be brave, consistent, patient with ourselves, continue to risk, to trust, and to push forward to engagement. The fourth stage, the fourth threshold, seeking. Let's call this the engagement stage. As we cross into this next threshold of discipleship, engagement, God asks us to marry him. And if this seems like a strange concept or feels strange, you haven't read the Bible. Because the whole Bible is about God marrying himself to us, his bride. He proposes an exclusive, lifelong union of love with us. Just like the engagement period between a man and a woman, you spend more time with God, dreaming about life with God here and now and life forever with him in eternity. More deep, satisfying conversations happen between you and God, which we call prayer. All opening up to the future. Like an engaged couple seeks good marriage prep before, uh, from, their, uh, from their local parish for their marriage to last beyond the initial honeymoon years, you seek God and the good life. You seek, you seek good life formation from others for your relationship with God to last a lifetime, indeed an eternity. You put, yourself, you put yourself in a variety of faith formation experiences at your parish, Retreats and conferences. Spirit, you, you, you seek out a spiritual director or counseling if necessary. You read books on the spiritual life. You pray with the scriptures, not just read them. Listen to podcasts by top-notch speakers who help you mature your relationship with Christ. You explore multimedia materials like on form.org. You subscribe to emails like Hallow that daily send you reflections and meditations to fill your head and heart with a deeper love and understanding of the married life with God. All of these mentors, coaches, friends, counselors, directors, fellow parishioners and fellow disciples on the journey become the individuals and the groups who accompany you on your coupled relationship with God. You put yourself under their teachings, what we call the teachings of the church. You fill up more and more with the love of God's Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You are now ready to be all in with your relationship with God and grow a family with him. The fifth stage, the fifth threshold, discipleship. It's the marriage and family life stage. Like a man and a woman living together as husband and wife, we live with God for the rest of our lives. 
Far from being just a pew sitter, far from staying single and distant from God, we eventually, in our journey toward God, make the decision to cross the threshold of true change, true conversion, true discipleship, and give ourselves fully to God. Now, God is at the center of our lives and our attention. We put him first and make sure that everything else that is important in our life, and that is important in life, takes a second seat to him. We make sure that our relationship with him is nourished and nurtured regularly, defended and cherished, healthy, holy, and at times very happy. We sacrifice for the spouse of our souls, our soulmate who is God, not another human being, and put all the support systems in place to make our relationship with God sustaining over the years. We don't allow ourselves to get distracted, sidetracked, deterred, even as we go through the normal ups and downs of the spiritual life, the consolations and the desolations, the spiritual dryness and the spiritual oasis. We work constantly on our faithfulness and fidelity, on expressing our love and sharing our love. This mystical marriage as a result, is deeply satisfying and fulfilling. It is also meant to be fruitful. From this marriage with God comes the fruit of our love with God. Now, walking in a discipleship relationship with God, we make other disciples and more disciple makers. And I'm not just talking about your own children. So much more than that. We spend life with God, growing up other disciples. We help to grow the family of God, which comes from the fruit of God's love for us and our love for God. We have crossed the final threshold into a life of being all in. We allow God to propose to us, and we say yes I do love you, and I will make you the center of my life and existence, and we will grow a family together and add more and more to your family, to our family. As a couple's own wedding vows attest, we are spiritually married then to God, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, good times and bad until death do us part. In fact, when death does us part, with God as our lover and we as his beloved, even death doesn't have the power to part us from one another. Death completes our life and perpetuates our lifelong union of love into eternity, and then our love becomes an eternal love affair with God. Now, Let's be honest. Which life is more attractive to you? Which one is more satisfying? Which is better? The life of a pew sitter or the life of a disciple? Can you see the enormous difference in the quality of life between a person who wants all that God wants to offer him or her but for any number of reasons or excuses, doesn't pursue this life or keeps running away from it. 
And the person who pursues this lifelong union of love with God, doing whatever it takes, day in and day out, to push through the fears and hesitations, the laziness and the busyness, wounds and selfishness, obstacles and challenges, in order to live what we all, from the deeps of our existence, desire, to live a life that only God can give us. If we are just willing to trust him and follow him as he disciples us, as his beloved, and he as our lover. Friends, here's my invitation to you. Christ's invitation to you. Flirt a little with God again. Then start to date him again. And allow him to become more exclusive in your life. Let this naturally lead to more engagement with him. And eventually over time, to God being your lover and you being his beloved. And a lifelong union of love and growing a family together. This is the journey of a disciple. This is what discipleship looks like. But it leads to so much more than just discipleship. It leads to the life you have always desired for yourself and for everyone else who is near and dear to you.